Amen. I'm going to get into the Word of God. I feel like I have felt like ever since Thursday evening, sitting in my office after work Thursday night, whenever God laid thought on my heart for tonight, I felt like God was going to move in a miraculous way in this place. I believe that if you'll open your heart, the Spirit of God is about to speak into your life. Not because anything I'm going to, I'm going to be honest with you, I feel like that the, the sermon I have prepared is inadequate. I feel like that the words I put down and are, are not and not not going to get it done. But I feel like the Holy Ghost is about to move in this place in the next few moments. And if you'll be sensitive, and if you'll listen to His voice, and you'll hear what He's about to speak to you, God's about to do something in your life that I can't do for you, Amen. But then only He can do for you if you'll just let Him, Amen. John chapter six, beginning with verse five. John six and five. I'm going to preach from this subject when a little becomes a lot when a little becomes a lot John chapter 6 and verse 5 when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him he saith unto Philip whence shall we buy bread that these may eat and this he said to prove him for he himself knew what he would do Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. It's not enough. The very best number that Philip can come up with, it's not enough that every one of them could take a little. But one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they? Among so many. But what are they among so many? I just believe in this place tonight, if you'll bring your little offering, if you'll bring your meager offering, if you'll bring the little bit that you've got, uh, you may look at it and say, what is this uh, among such a need? What is this compared to everything that I need? What is this compared, amen, to all that is around me? But if you'll let God, he's prepared to multiply the little and make it a lot. Uh, would you lift your hands to him right now? In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we humbly come into your presence. I'm asking God, that you would move in this house tonight. Let the power and the authority of the Word of God speak uh, into our lives. Lord, let your spirit right now begin to minister and prepare our heart. Let faith rise up, Lord. I believe, God, that you desire to do miracles in this house tonight. And I'm asking in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, that you create the kind of atmosphere where that can happen right now. In Jesus' name, would you say amen? Amen. When I was traveling each year to Taiwan for a missions trip, and my, I did that in five consecutive years, I invested myself in learning to speak the Chinese language. One of my goals at the beginning, I planned the first trip a year in advance. I had a year before I was going to go. And my goal for that first trip was to be able to master enough of Mandarin Chinese that I'd be able to get around on the streets if I got separated or I got out in that city. I, I didn't have to be fluent. It wasn't my desire to be able to stand and carry on a conversation. I, I, I just didn't want to be stranded somewhere. I wanted to know that if I got stuck somewhere that I, I would be able to speak the language. I'd be able to tell where I needed to go and what I needed to do. If I found myself stranded on the streets of a city where everyone around me spoke Chinese, I wanted to be able to say, hey, I need to know where I'm going. So I hired a man. He was a retired Air Force translator, and he was fluent in five languages, and one of them was Chinese. And I, I met with him every single week. I paid him to teach me the Chinese language. That diligence paid off on our very first trip to Taiwan where we found ourselves stranded at the airport. The missionary was supposed to meet us there. He was supposed to give us a ride to our hotel, but through a mix-up of circumstances, he never showed up. And there we were, my wife and I, we had been traveling for over 30 hours, 30-plus 30 hours since we had left our home. We were exhausted. We were tired. We were at our, the end of our physical ability, and we were in the middle of a foreign country surrounded by people, most of whom did not speak English. 
And after a few moments of wandering around aimlessly trying to figure out what we should do next, I realized that this was exactly what I had been studying for for a year. This was exactly why I had hired the man to teach me the language. So, emboldened by the courage of youthful ignorance, I changed some of my American money into new Taiwan dollars and went out of that airport and hailed a taxi cab. And I told him where I needed to go, what I needed to do, and my language skills were good enough to get me where I wanted to go. It was the first true test uh, of me speaking Chinese in that native language in that native country, and I'm thankful to say that I passed. We made it to where we were going. When we got there, we discovered the missionary had realized our dilemma and had rushed to the airport to pick us up. We weren't there anymore. Amen. And they were frantically trying to locate us in this huge city. But in the end, we were all relieved that my language skills had been good enough to get my wife and I to where we were going. So when I got home from that trip, I, I, was, I had a, an increased desire to become more proficient in the language. I wanted my goal then for the second trip was I want to be able to go out and I want to be able to shop. I want to be able to buy and sell. We went to the night markets, really awesome stuff. They go walking down the street, shut down whole city blocks, and, and uh, those big four-lane highways become marketplaces at night, and they fill them up with stalls and, and vendors. And I wanted to be able to go shopping without the need for a translator. So I set about the task with a new urgency. I wanted to learn how to, to, to conduct my business. One of the key phrases that I learned during that time was this. Wada Chien Bugo. Wada Chien Bugo. It literally means my money is not enough. My money is not enough. That was my escape hatch. That was my out. That was the way that I could back out of any deal. That was the way that if I got involved in trying to negotiate for something and I, I wasn't interested in it or I could not afford it, I could always say, Walter Chian Bugo, my money is not enough. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I'm sorry. It don't matter how much more you drop the price, you're way over my head. Walter Chian Bugo, I don't have enough money. Have you ever felt like that? Yeah, I just don't, I don't have enough. You ever been in that place where you wanted to throw your hands in the air and say, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources. I don't have enough anything. It's not always the money that I don't have enough of. Sometimes I don't have enough time. Sometimes I don't have enough energy. Sometimes my resources are not enough. Sometimes I simply just don't have enough of whatever it is that I need. We've all been in that place, the place where you size up a situation and determine that even if we give it our best, our best is not going to be good enough. I hate to break it to you. I know that your high school teacher told you your best would always be good enough, but I'm living proof there are times when your best just ain't going to get it done. There are times when you give it all you've got and you're still going to come up short. You're still going to fall short of the mark. We're, we're inadequate sometimes. Our, our, our resources are insufficient sometimes. Sometimes we just, no matter how bad we want to be able to do it, we just don't have it within us. Whatever we do, it's not going to be enough. That was exactly how the disciples felt. When Jesus asked them a very pointed question in John chapter 6 and verse 5. How are we going to buy bread so that we can feed this great company of people that are gathered here? There they stand, these 12 men who have forsaken everything to follow Jesus. Can I tell you, their resources were not all that much. They walked away from their jobs. They walked away from their security. They walked away from everything they had in this life. They, they didn't have wealth. They didn't have riches. They didn't have worldly goods. They were the followers of the one of whom it was said, the foxes had their dens and the birds had their nest, uh, but the Son of Man hath no place uh, to lay his head. Uh, they didn't even have a home. Uh, they didn't even have a nice bed to 
sleep in at night, uh, much less the resources from which to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. My money is not enough. My resources won't get it done. I can dig as deep as I got. I can get into I can get into my savings. I can wipe out the bank account. I can rob the kids' savings. And when I get done robbing everything I've got access to, it isn't gonna be enough. That day they looked across the vast crowd that had come to hear Jesus teach and preach. And I'm here to tell you the needs were greater than their resources. The vast sea of humanity before them represented to them a problem that was bigger than their best solution. Nothing in the realm of their abilities or their provision would ever be able to meet the needs of that great multitude. But John let us know from the very beginning of the story that Jesus asked the question with an ulterior motive in mind. When he asked them how they were going to buy the bread to feed the multitude, he wasn't asking the question for his own benefit. John said that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He already knew the answer to the question. He didn't need them to inform him they didn't have enough money in the treasury to feed the multitude. He didn't need them to inform him that all of their resources were not enough. He knew that he was getting ready to work a miracle. He knew that he was getting ready to multiply loaves and fishes. He knew that when he got done, everybody was going to step back and haul. He knew what was about to happen. The question was never about a practical answer. The question was designed to amplify that sense of insufficiency, that feeling of inadequacy. He wanted the disciples to stand and look across that vast multitude and realize, I don't have what they need. It's not within me. It's not in my resources. I can't find it in my bank account. I can't find it in my talent and my abilities and my skills and all of my head knowledge. I don't have everything they need. You see, the disciples needed to learn a couple of lessons. First of all, they needed to learn that they wouldn't always have all the answers. It's easy to sit in positions of authority and mountaintops and stand beside great leaders like Jesus and think that, you know, you're always going to have it all figured out. But there's a day coming when he's going to be gone and they're going to stand on their own. And guess what, my friend? They're not always going to know the right answer. They're not always going to know the right words to say. Their resources, there are going to be times when their resources simply aren't going to be enough. These are the men that are going to turn the world upside down. But that great revival will not come without opposition and heartache. They're going to have to fight hell every step of the way. And there will be moments when their insufficiencies will tower over them. And they will feel just like they felt on that day. When they'll want to throw their hands in the air and say, Well, to Chien Bugo, my money is not enough. I just don't have it in me. I just don't have enough. I don't have all the answers. I don't know what to do next. I don't know how we get from here to there. I I don't know how we solve this dilemma. I don't know what to do. What I have is not enough. Jesus understood something. He understood that that sense of human inadequacy is often the beginning of divine strength. I wish it wasn't so. I wish we had more faith. But the truth is that all too often, it's not until we reach the end of our rope. It's not until we get to the limit of our abilities. It's not until we get to the point of our insufficiency that we look to God for divine help. It's not until we've used up all of our resources that we finally realize, I can't do this thing on my own. We are very often like the lady with the issue of the blood. We wait until we have spent all of our living, until we have nothing left, until there's nowhere else to turn before we finally turn to Jesus. It is our desperation. 
It is our inadequacy. It is our insufficiency that often drives us into the realm of divine miracles. I wish I could say it was always our faith that propelled us to that place. I wish I could say that we started out from the outset believing that God was going to do a miracle. But we tend to look at our problems and say, you know, I'm going to solve this one. I, I can figure this one out. I've got enough resources to throw at it. I've got enough money to throw at it. I've got enough of my talent and my ability to solve it. And it's not until we reach the end of ourselves and realize I don't don't have enough that we let God begin to work. When our back is against the wall, when we run out of our resources, when we don't know where else to turn, that's when the stage is set for God to do the miraculous. The second thing that the disciples needed to learn was that Jesus would always be more than enough. Once they sized up the problem, once they realized that they were insufficient to meet the need, they needed to know that Jesus was always going to be more than enough to meet the need. That there was no problem that was too big for him. There'd be problems too big for them. But there'd never be a problem that was too big for him. There would be situations that they'd never find an answer for on their own. But there's never going to be an obstacle that they're going to come against uh, that God can't overcome. No need in their life that he cannot meet. There'd be no impossibility that was outside of the realm of his miraculous power. We may be insufficient. Our money may not be enough. Our resources may fall short, but he is all sufficient. Uh, he is more than able. Uh, and that's a lesson that the disciples needed to learn. But the disciples, they hadn't realized that yet. It didn't dawn on them. I know John writes it right there into the text that Jesus knew what he was going to do. But John's writing this years down the road. He's 90 years old when he writes that. He didn't know any better than anybody else what was about to happen. They hadn't figured out yet that it's an object lesson. They don't know that the outcome is predetermined, that Jesus has already determined that he's setting them up for a miracle. All they can see is the insurmountable problem, that hauntingly huge deficit between their resources and the great need that is set before them. And so Philip immediately sets out to provide a real answer to the question. His mental computer begins to work like a cash register. And all he can think about is the huge sum of money that it is going to take to feed that crowd. As a matter of fact, all he can imagine is what would be needed to provide even a meager morsel of bread for every person. Philip even goes so far as to arrive at a figure, it'll take 200 pennies worth of bread just to get a small bite for almost everybody. Won't even get the whole crowd covered. His, his wildest imagination, his best figuring, can't get the job done. One penny or one denarius was a day's pay for a common laborer. 200 denarii represented eight months' wages. That's the figure that Philip pulled out. That's a substantial amount of money. Eight months' wages. But the crowd was so large that even that huge sum of money would not buy enough bread to feed them all. 200 denarii, they tell me, would buy roughly 4,800 loaves of barley, and barley was cheap bread. Wheat bread was good bread. Barley was the cheap stuff that paupers and people living in poverty bought. But if you bought barley loaves, you could get 4,800 of them. I want to remind you, there were 5,000 men plus women and children in the crowd that day. And when we talk about a loaf of barley, we're not even talking about a loaf the way you and I think about a loaf. We're not talking about a big piece of bread. We're talking about a biscuit. It's a little thing. This is the kind of stuff you make snacks out of. 
And Philip said, the very best I can come up with is about 200 penny worth of, uh, of barley blows of, of cheap bread. If I, if I buy cheap bread, maybe, just maybe everybody, that, that, that maybe the men, maybe we can get all the men fed and, and the women and children, maybe they'll just have to fend for themselves. You see, the task was impossible. What Jesus had asked them to do was beyond their resources. It was something that they simply could not do. I can see the scene unfolding before me. Peter and James and John in their loud, brash manner are right in the middle of the scrum, and they're trying to figure out how if Jesus told us to do it, we got to do it. If Jesus said to do it, we got to figure something out. Uh, maybe, maybe we got. I don't. Maybe we need to go negotiate bread prices. Maybe we need to go. Wh- whatever we got to do. Maybe we need to go take up a collection. Maybe we need to do something. But we've got to figure this thing out. And I can hear the, the the little crowd of disciples getting louder and louder with, with Philip and maybe Matthew, the former tax collector, backing him up. And, and Philip's dealing out the cold hard facts. Listen, guys, uh, you don't understand. Your best effort isn't going to get it done. This task is impossible. We simply don't have enough resources. Water. Chian Buko, my money is not enough. But what I want you to realize tonight is that in the middle of all of that excitement, while those 12 disciples are trying to figure out how they're going to get it done, one of them slips away from the rest. Andrew is not prominent. Among the twelve. He's just Peter's little brother. He's not a figurehead. He's not somebody that you read a lot about in scripture. He and John were the first of Jesus' disciples. As a matter of fact, Andrew and John bear the distinction of having followed Jesus before they were called to follow him. They heard him preaching with John the Baptist. They were followers of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist looked at them and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And they said, That's all the cue I need. I'm going to go follow him. And Jesus turned and looked at them and said, Where are you going? And they said, I don't know. Where do you live? Because wherever you're going, that's where we're going. And before he ever called them, he called the other ten disciples. But he didn't call John and he didn't call Andrew. They just said, You know what? We're going to follow you. Wherever you're going, that's where we're going. Andrew. He's not a spokesman. He, he, he doesn't have a visible role. He, his, his part in the whole story in Scripture is very understated. We don't see a whole lot out of him. He doesn't preach earth-moving sermons. He doesn't write eloquent books. His name is only recorded a bare handful of times in Scripture. Most of those times are times when the Bible lists all of the disciples. He's really not a big deal. He's just Andrew, an humble ex-fisherman and a follower of Jesus Christ. He's the silent guy in the background. He doesn't really measure up to all that much. He's just one of the 12. You realize there's some standout guys in those 12. There's Peter, the leader. Matthew, the tax collector, there's some bright folks. There's some, there's some folks that really, really, they amount to something. Then there's, there's Andrew. And Andrew's just, he's just one of the 12. And Andrew doesn't have any unique insight in the mind of Christ. He doesn't know any more than any of the others know what is about to happen. But Andrew's perspective is a little different than everybody else's. While they're busy trying to figure it out, while they're busy trying to solve the dilemma, while they're busy trying to find the resources to meet the need, Andrew slips into the midst of that vast multitude to see if he can find just a little something that Jesus can use. I don't know if he's going to work a miracle today or not. But if he is, I'm going to find something that he can use. 
I don't know if he can do any. I don't know what his plan is. I don't know how we're going to solve this dilemma. But Andrew had an understanding. Uh, if I can just find a little offering uh, to bring to Jesus. Uh, if I can just find a little something that he can work with. Uh, if I can just find anything uh, that I can put in his hands. Uh, my Jesus can do a whole lot with a little bit. What sets Andrew apart is that he understood if I can just find something to put in Jesus' hands. If I can just find it. I don't have enough. I don't have everything it takes. All of my resources are not enough. But if I can just find something to give to my master, I believe he can do a whole lot with a little bit. So Andrew goes searching. While the rest of them are bickering and fighting and going back and forth. And while they're getting all loud and bold and, and going at it about what's the best solution and how's the best way to approach it. Andrew's out there in the middle of 5,000 men and women and children besides. Uh, and he's looking for something that Jesus can use. And while everybody else is fretting about how they're, how they're going to feed the hungry multitude out of their inadequate resources. Andrew's out in the crowd looking for something that God might use to work a miracle. Andrew doesn't know what Jesus is planning. Andrew doesn't know what's going to happen next. He just knows uh, I don't have it in myself. Uh, I don't have the resources. Uh, everything I've got is not enough. Uh, but if I can find something uh, to put into Jesus' hands, uh, if I can just find something uh, to bring to him, if I can find a little bit, when it gets to Jesus, a little becomes a lot. When human reasoning failed, when all of their resources came up short, Andrew went looking for just a little bit of something that he could bring to Jesus. Somehow, Andrew had the faith to tell himself, if I can find just a little food, maybe I can take that to Jesus. And he can do something with it. It couldn't have been easy. It couldn't have happened fast. I can just imagine Andrew beyond the point where reasonable men would have given up. Beyond the point where any other man would have thrown his hands in the air and said enough is enough. What I have is not enough. But Andrew's out there looking. Let me find something. Let me find something that Jesus can work with. Just in case he's going to work a miracle. Just in case this story is not going to be defined by my inadequacy. Uh, just in case this story is not going to be defined by my insufficiencies. Just in case uh, this story is not going to be defined by what I cannot do. Just in case a little offering is all that he needs to work a miracle. Let me see if I can find something to bring to Jesus. Somewhere in the back of that crowd. He must have already gone through the men. Because the women and the children are at the back. And somewhere back in the back of that crowd. Andrew found a little boy. With a little lunch. It was just five barley loaves those cheap little biscuits and two fish and John this this story is in all four gospels but John alone uses the descriptive Greek word that describes the fish as small pickled fish kind of like an, uh, anchovies or sardines the snack fish you know we tell that story in Sunday school and we say he took a little boy's lunch and we're really exaggerating what he had I know we think that's a great miracle. He took a little boy's lunch and he multiplied it. It wasn't even lunch, honey. It was a snack. It was just a little bit. It was just two small sardines, if you will, and a couple of biscuits, five biscuits. That's all he had. But somewhere inside of Andrew, his faith was stirred up. It was just a little bit. 
And it was so little compared to the vast multitude. It was so little among so many. But Andrew said, I'm going to take this to Jesus. And I'm going to see what Jesus can do with this. It's all that I have. It's all that I've got. I'd take more if I had more. If I could find two or three more lunches, we'd load up on lunches. But I can't find two or three lunches. This is all I've got. And I know that it's not much. I know I heard Philip say it was going to take 200 penny worth of bread to get this done. And I already understand I don't have 200 penny worth of bread here. I just got five loaves and two fishes. But I'm going to take that to Jesus and see what he can do with that. It is so little compared to so many. But it is all that there is. And so Andrew brought his little meager offering to Jesus. I come to tell somebody in this place tonight that Jesus can take a little and turn it into a lot. That he can take your little offering and multiply it to meet your need. Whenever your resources are not enough, he can take the little bit you give to him and multiply it to become more than enough. We've all been to that place where our personal need was greater than our resources. That place where the problem was greater than any solution that we could come up with. We, we've all been to the end of our rope in that desperate moment where everything we do seems so inadequate, where all of our resources seem to be so little compared to the problems that we face and the obstacles that we must overcome. But I've come to this pulpit tonight with a simple question. What do you have that Jesus might could work with? In the face of your problem, in the face of your situation, in the face of the circumstances of your life, in the face of the obstacles that stand before you, that great need that is more than what you could ever do, what do you have in your life? What is your little offering that Jesus might multiply to meet the need? I, I know it seems so small. I know it may seem inadequate. I know that you don't have enough. I know that your resources are not equal to the task. But that isn't the question. The question is not can you do it. The question is can you bring a little something to Jesus and let him do it. The question is, do you have something left in your life? Do you have something left in your heart? Do you have something left in your home? Do you have something left in all of your possession, and all of your being? Is there anything that you can bring to Jesus and see what he can do with it? Even the smallest of offerings. What could Jesus do if you put it in his hand? I want to ask you a question. What if God's setting you up for a miracle? What if God's setting you up for an absolute divine move of God in your life? What if the impossibility is really an invitation to the divine? What if the circumstance is really God's way of moving you into the place where he can bless you beyond measure? What if the thing that is beyond your ability, that is beyond your strength, that is beyond anything that you could ever do, what if that is the situation that God's getting ready to transform by divine providence to create a miracle for you? If that's the case. What do you have that you can give to Jesus? You see, sometimes we get fixated on the impossibility of our situation. Sometimes we let our limitations and inadequacies define the circumstance. But I've come to this pulpit tonight to tell somebody under the sound of my voice, the only thing that God is waiting for is your offering. 
He's not waiting for you to solve it. He's not waiting for you to work it out. He's not waiting for you to find the resources. He's waiting for you to find an offering. He's waiting for you to find some part of yourself that you can give to him. He doesn't care how little it is. He doesn't care how insignificant it is. He doesn't care how inadequate it may be. All that he is waiting for is for you to bring your offering to him. Let me tell you when a little becomes a lot. It's not whenever I I multiply it. It's when I put it in his hands and he multiplies it. When you bring your little to Jesus, when you bring your insufficient supply, when you bring your inabilities, when you bring uh, your, your, all of your incompetencies and you put them in his hands, that's when he multiplies it to meet your need. That's when a little becomes a lot. God isn't as concerned about what you don't have as you might think he is. God isn't as concerned about what you can't do as you might think he is. God is much more concerned about what you do have and what you can do because you do have a little. Somewhere in your life, you do have a little. Somewhere in your life, you do have a meager offering. Somewhere in your life, there is that little bit that you can bring to him, and you can bring it to him. Uh, Amen. He's not so much worried about how you're going to overcome or how you're going to figure it out or how you're going to solve the dilemma. He's worried about what you're going to do with your little offering. In Philip's wildest dreams, His best figure, there was never going to be enough food to feed the multitude. But when Andrew gets done, there are 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Listen, nowhere... And Philip's wildest imagination, were they ever going to come up with enough resources just to give everybody a piece of bread? But when Andrew brings his little offering, when he gets done bringing the little thing to Jesus, and Jesus blesses it and multiplies it, when he gets done, it's not just meeting the need. It's not just exceeding what Philip thought was possible. It is beyond 12 basketfuls. Of leftovers. You do have a little. And when you put your little in his hands. It becomes more. Than you could ever think. Or imagine. I know I'm. I'm in that realm where we get uncomfortable. But I want you to consider tonight. What is that little thing in your life. That the master can use. What is your offering. What is your offering? All preachers talking about money, I'm really not. For some, it's a testimony. For some, you don't think your testimony is much. You don't think you can talk to people. You don't think you have a whole lot to offer. You don't think that you, you, you're not very good at that kind of stuff. But compared to the great need and compared to the, 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 the problem that is before you and compared to the, the people that surround you, you feel like your feeble words fall far short. But God is saying tonight, if you'll bring your life, if you'll bring your little offering, if you'll bring your testimony, if you'll tell him, God, if you'll put words in my mouth, I'll speak to him. I'm going to promise you something. He'll feel your mouth up because God's getting ready to do a miracle of multiplication in this place tonight. There are some of you that you need simply to bring your life and say, Lord, I've been holding back. Uh, I've been standing back. Uh, I didn't think I was enough. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I had the talent. I didn't think I had the skill. I didn't think I had the ability. And God's been waiting for you to say, here's my little offering. Here's the little bit I've got. Here's the little bit I can do. And let me see, God, what you can do with a little offering. Somebody in this place may feel like you don't have much left in your life. You may feel like you're empty and broken and destitute and you've been all used up and there's nothing left. But listen to this preacher tonight. God doesn't need much to work with. God doesn't need a big offering. God doesn't need a a, a huge thing. All he needs is for you to give him what you have left. He will make it more than enough. 
And I'll go ahead and say it. Some of you have labored financially. And some of you have struggled for a financial breakthrough. And I'm not going to preach on money, but listen to me. If you'll give God something to work with, he'll multiply it. Your problem is God wants to bless you. But he, you can't reap what you don't sow. You can't harvest what you don't plant. Amen. And God's standing back and saying, if you just give me a little, if you just give me something, if you just put something into my hands, uh, the scripture said, give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, and running over. You got to give first. Uh, give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, and running over. First, you got to bring your offering. I have always found it interesting that after the prophet Elijah, under the anointing of God, prophesied to the wicked king Ahab that a great drought and famine was going to come upon the land three long years as a judgment from God, that God did not remove Elijah from the land. You know, you'd think God sends you to give that kind of message and give you an all-expense-paid cruise to the Caribbean somewhere so you don't have to go through that foolishness with that bunch of idiots that wouldn't listen to God. That's not the case at all. God chose to leave Elijah in the middle of that drought and famine, and instead of removing him, he would provide for him miraculously. And so for a span of time, ravens brought Elijah bread and meat to eat as he sat by a brook. Ravens. That's blackbirds, folks. Big ones. Brought him bread and meat to eat as he sat by the brook. However, over time, the brook ran dry. It's a drought and a famine. And so God spoke to Elijah and told him, I want you to go to a certain place, to the home of the little widow lady that I'm going to use to sustain you. And the Bible tells me that when Elijah came to that widow woman's town, he found her at the gate picking up sticks, getting firewood, and immediately he went to her and he said to her, would you get me a little water to drink? And she said, I I, I sure will. And she headed off to get the water and he stopped her and he said, oh, and would you bring me a little bread? And then she stopped. And with a heart that was surely broken, she turned and she looked at that prophet and she began to tell him, I don't have enough. Everything I got is not enough. I don't even have enough to feed myself and my son, much less you too, man of God. My resources just are not enough. All I've got at home is one handful of meal and a little bit of oil in a cruise. And when I pick up these two sticks, I'm going back home and I'm going to build a fire and I'm going to take my handful of meal and my little bit of oil and I'm going to bake my last cake. The boy and I are going to eat and we're going to die. The Spirit of God was on that preacher. That poor saint looked at him and said, I'm sorry, preacher. I'd love to help you out. I believe in what you're doing. I believe in everything, the vision that you've got. But I just don't have enough. I've only got a little, and I need that little to get by for myself. Me and my boy, we're going to take that little, and then we're going to die. Elijah, though, wasn't dismayed. He didn't back up. He knew that the same God that had been using ravens to feed him was about to work a miracle for that little widow woman. And he understood, that even though she didn't understand, that that little bit that she had, that handful of meal, was all God needed to work a miracle of provision in her life. That handful of meal was all God needed to multiply, to take her all the way through the rest of the famine. So he told her, he said, fear not. This is what you do. Go home. Take your handful of meal and your oil. And you make me a cake. And you bring that cake to me. And after you make my cake. And after you bring me my cake. Then you go back home. 
and you're going to find a handful of meal. And you go ahead and make a cake for you and for your son. And thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall that cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Because if you'll give God your little bit, God's going to multiply it to meet your need. You know what happened next? There, there isn't even any record of a conversation. That little lady of faith took off to her house. If God said it, I believe it, she said. Uh, so she went and she gave her little offering to God. She reached down in that meal barrel and she got her last handful of meal. You know what I believe? I believe that when she reached in there, there wasn't but a handful there. And when she pulled it out, it was all she had. And when she took that cruise of oil, she emptied it over that fire, and she, kept, she baked her last cake. And she brought it to the man of God. And when she went home, she reached back in that same meal barrel and that same handful of meal was there and she picked up that same cruise of hall. I don't believe it was brimming over full. I believe it was just about empty and she poured the last of it on the pan and she baked the last cake again and I believe it was that day every single day for the rest of that famine. She went to that meal barrel and she got the last of the meal and she went to that cruise and she poured out the last of the hall. But God promised it's never going to run because if you give me your little bit then God a little becomes a lot you see what it was really about it wasn't really about the meal it was really about whether or not she was willing to let God be the Lord over her little it was about whether or not she was willing to let God be the Lord over her little. See, really and honestly, offerings aren't about the money or the sacrifice. They're about lordship. They're about who you let be Lord in your life. It's asking a lot when you say to a little widow woman, Bring me your last meal. It's about lordship. It's really not about the little. It's about letting God be Lord. I'm going to tell you something. God doesn't need your offering. God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And I can tell you as pastor, I've seen tithes come and I've seen tithes go. But I've never seen God forsake this church. It's about letting God be Lord of your life. It's about letting God be the Lord of the little bit that you've got. It's about saying to God, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to give you what I've got. And I'm going to see what you can do with what I give you. The little widow lady decided that she was going to make God Lord over everything. God took that and he multiplied it over and over and over again. What God required of her was that she give it to him first. She gave it to him blindly. She gave it to him in faith when she left that house to take the, the cake to the prophet for all intents and purposes that meal barrel was empty. She brought her little to the Lord. There's somebody under the sound of my voice right now. You need to abandon your sense of practicality. And you need to let the spirit of Andrew settle over you. You've been busy trying to figure it out, add it all up, trying to 
trying to determine how you can work it all out. The problem is that the need is bigger than your resources. The need is bigger than what you have. The need is bigger than anything you could ever do on your own. And it's time for you to get the spirit of Andrew and start going through your life and searching through your heart uh, and finding what it is uh, that you need to give to God uh, so that God can multiply it and meet your need. I'm going to say it again. You need a financial blessing. You need to bring a financial offering. You want God to bless you and make you a soul winner? You need to bring your heart. You want him to, to open doors in your life? You need to find something in you that you're going to give to him. But I'm about to make a appeal. I'm about to make an altar call, and I'm about to take an offering. Not that I need a finance. We've already got an offering. It's not that I need the finances. It's that I believe God's getting to lose a miracle of multiplication in this house. I believe that somebody is, uh, there are some under the sound of my voice, you're not going to get this. You're going you're gonna to mock it and you're going to laugh at it and you're going to say, yeah, preacher's doing what preacher's doing. That's, what, that's just the stuff that preachers do. Somebody's right now by faith is about to get a hold of this and God's about to work a miracle in your life. He's about, it may not, you may not walk up here and the next few minutes walk away and, and celebrate a miracle that you can see and understand, but God's about to open a door that no man can open. He's about to do something in your life that may not even be quantifiable yet, but you're going to testify somewhere down the road of what God did in this place tonight. Would you stand with me? First of all, you need your offering. First of all, you need to make up your mind. What is it that I can bring to Jesus? I talked about money, and I, it's not about money. There are some, I know myself, I need a financial blessing, and I can bring an offering. But I believe God's looking for a whole lot more than just your money. I believe God's looking for a whole lot more than just your cash. I understand that that is a component because there are people that are straining financially, and God wants to bless you beyond your wildest imagination. He really wants to open up a door for you. But there are people that you struggle to live for God. Because you've let the devil tell you you messed up one time too many and what you got left isn't enough. And you struggle with your guilt and you struggle with your past defeats and you struggle with past failures and somehow you have allowed yourself to become convinced that your little bit of an offering is not enough. And I feel very strongly in the spirit right now. The Holy Ghost is reaching out for somebody under the sound of my voice. And what you need to bring to this altar is not material, but it is spiritual. You need to bring your heart. You need to bring your life. There's a little bit of you somewhere that you've held back uh, that you need to lay on the altar tonight. Uh, amen. There's a little bit of you in your heart. Uh, amen. That you've, you've kept back from the master. There's a little kingdom that you've kept for yourself. There's a little bit that you have reserved for yourself. There's a little bit somewhere that you've been holding out and it is the key to the victory that you long for it is the key to moving to the next step I believe God's about to loose an evangelistic outpouring in this place and I believe that God's going to raise up people that are going to change the face of this city with the gospel of Jesus Christ but you got to plant something. you got to give your little bit. I'm asking you right now. If you step out of your pew and you find your way to an altar this evening, if you'd open up your heart and if you'd say, Lord, here I am. In the name of Jesus, Lord, you see my little bit, Lord. You see what little meager thing I've got, Lord. I understand that I don't have much. I understand that it doesn't amount to a whole lot. But, Lord, I'm going to bring you what I've got.